They'll be with us a couple more weeks, and then we'll send them off. And uh, keep praying for John. Keep praying for Trisha, the, the new one who replant, because it takes a particular kind of person to launch something that doesn't exist. Uh, you got to have exactly the right mix of confidence and hopefulness and youthfulness. I'm getting a little too old. You see the gray in my hair. I'm getting too old for that. But God is sending folks, young and old, to be part of this. And, and it's almost like a superpower that he gives to be able to do something like this. But here's the thing. Every one of us has some kind of superpower. Every single one of us. You have a unique mix of strengths. Like your personality is a superpower. You're either a deep-thinking introvert or you're an outgoing extrovert, and both are awesome. Your background is a superpower. You've got a unique perspective because of your culture, because of your family, because of the neighborhood that you grew up in, and nobody else has that perspective but you. Your gift mix is a superpower. You've got a totally unique mix of, of natural talents and spiritual gifts. And it says in 1 Peter 4, you are a recipient of the varied grace of God. That God gives various kinds of grace to various people. But you know what else it says in 1 Peter? You need to be a good steward of the varied grace of God. You've got to steward your superpower, whatever it is. Because here's the thing. There's one more superpower that you have. And that's your gender. You've got unique strengths, unique advantages, a unique calling that comes along with your manhood or your womanhood. God's grace is varied, right? Half of us are male, half of us are female. And so how are we going to be good stewards of the varied grace that God has given us as men and as women? That's the question that Paul wants to answer in 1 Corinthians today. So if you got your Bible, please open to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. 1 Corinthians 11. And I know that we're opening up a can of worms today that most people don't want to open. We just don't because we get a little twitchy when people start talking about gender. Because in our culture, gender is more of a political talking point. It's more of like ammunition in the culture war. That's how we have learned to think about it lately. On one side, we've got conservatives, traditional conservatives who want all men and women to fit the traditional standards of men and women. And then on the other side, we have progressives who think men and women should be the same because gender is something that society invented, and so we can just reinvent it when we want. And guess what? That is exactly the kind of stew, that's exactly the kind of atmosphere that Paul is wading into in this letter. Exactly. The church in Corinth, it was planted by a group of traditional conservative Jews. But then, just a little bit later, like a week later, a bunch of progressive Romans started streaming into the church. And first century Rome looked a lot like 21st century America. A lot. In Corinth, there was a large LGBTQ community. Cross-dressing was common in Corinth. And so in the church in Corinth, they were fighting exactly the same culture war that we're fighting today. Traditional conservatives versus libertarian progressives. And guess what? Both sides are going to get lit up by Paul in his letter. Whether you are liberal or conservative, Paul is going to challenge you today. Whether you're a feminist or a chauvinist, Paul is going to offend you today. So, you ready for this? Yeah, you don't sound ready for this. We're going to do this anyways. 
you're not ready at all. You can't handle the truth. We're going to give it to you anyways. 1 Corinthians 11. Look at verse 1. Paul says, imitate me as I also imitate Christ. Now I praise you because you remember me in everything and hold fast to the traditions just as I delivered them to you. But I want you to know that Christ is the head of every man and the man is the head of the woman and God is the head of Christ. Okay, so before you start firing off emails at me, I can see you on your phone ready to hit send. Before you do that, we got to notice something really big that Paul's saying here. First and foremost, first among anything else, we got to understand genders are equal. That's what he's saying here. Because he says that the relationship between men and women mirrors the relationship between God and Christ. And we know that God the Father and Christ the Son are equal. They're co-equal members of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They've existed eternally together as three persons, one God. And so God the Son isn't any less God than God the Father. Christ and God are fundamentally equal. And so what that means, if this parallel is what Paul wants to do here, is that men and, equal, men and women are fundamentally equal. Men and women are fundamentally equal. In a few minutes, we'll hear Paul quote from Genesis 1. And in Genesis 1, it says that God created man and woman, male and female, in his image. Equally created in his image. In Galatians 3, it says there's no male and female distinction when it comes to how God values different people. So the two genders are equal. That's where we need to start. But at the same time, number two... Paul is also saying that genders are distinct. He is also saying that God designed men and women with different roles to fill. He says that God the Father is head of Christ the Son. Because when Jesus came to earth, he willingly submitted himself to the Father. He willingly put himself under the authority of the Father. And so Paul is saying here that men and women have the same roles to fill in the home and in the church. Look at what he said about men and women in the home in Ephesians 5. Paul says this, Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord, because the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church. Same word there, the head. But then in the same way, husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. Now, I know when you read that, ladies, I know you feel like you got the short end of the stick. Oh, Paul's telling me I got to submit to my husband. I know that's what you're feeling. But look at what he said to husbands. We got to die for our wives. That's what he told us. Just like Christ gave himself up for us and died on the cross. That's what he's saying to me. I don't know. I think dying might be a little bit harder than submitting. I think that might be the case. Every morning when I wake up, I got to think to myself, how can I die to myself for the sake of my wife today? When I'm driving home from work, i got to think to myself, how can I lay down my life for my wife when I get home today? On the weekend, when i got a little bit of free time, I have to be thinking to myself, how can I sacrifice my time for my wife, for my family today? Because that's what it means to be the head. It means dying to myself like Christ did as the head. Being the head doesn't mean getting whatever I want. That's not what it means. It means when I want something and Cindy wants something different, I'm going to willingly and joyfully lose that disagreement, 
most of the time. Most of the time, I'm going to lose, and I'm going to be joyful about it. Being the head doesn't mean that I get what I want. It means I'm the one responsible to make sure that my wife and my family thrive. It also means that I'm the one who takes the heat when they're not thriving. Being the head doesn't mean I get to tell people what to do. It means I'm the one responsible when things go wrong. That's what that means. It's like when you go out to eat. You go to a restaurant. You don't care who the manager of the restaurant is until you find a cockroach in your salad, right? All of a sudden then, you're like, all right, who's the manager? I got to speak to the manager. That's when you start caring about who's running this place. And it's the same in the home and in the church. Being head means taking responsibility, especially when things aren't right. Leadership is like a pyramid. Imagine living inside of a pyramid. The higher you go in that pyramid, look at that pyramid, the less space you have to move around, the less options you've got. And it also means the higher you get, the more of a target you become. Because that's what authority is all about. So, gentlemen, when you take leadership in your family, that doesn't mean more options for you. It means less options for you. doesn't mean life gets easier for you. It means life gets harder for you. The authority for your family rests on you, which means the buck stops with you. Just like it did for Adam and Eve. That's what Paul's talking about in 1 Timothy 2 when he's talking about men and women in the church. Look at what he says. I do not allow a woman to teach or to have authority over a man. Instead, she is to remain quiet. For Adam was formed first and then Eve, and Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and transgressed. Yeah, it was the woman who sinned first, but then think back to the story in Genesis 3. Who did God come and yell at first? It wasn't the woman. It was the man. He held the man responsible for the woman's actions. And so if that's the way it is in our individual families, like Adam and Eve, then we shouldn't expect it to be any different in the church family because the church family is just a family of families. And so that's why Paul says, I do not allow a woman to have authority over a man. Following the same principles there. And so to follow that principle, we have two roles in this church that we reserve for men. There's the role of elder and the role of community group leader, at least mixed gender community group leader. The elders in our church have congregationally affirmed authority in the church. And then community group leaders kind of basically function as elders of little mini churches. And so we have men leading any community groups that are mixed gender as well. And the leaders of the church family have the same responsibility as the leaders of the nuclear family. We are supposed to love the church like Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. The leadership pyramid is the same. The higher you go, the less options you've got. That's how authority works. And that's the roles that God gave us to play. We are equal in our standing before God. We're distinct in the roles that we play. Now, I know that I skipped right over the part in 1 Timothy where he said that women are supposed to be quiet. I know that's where you all were zeroed in on. I know I skipped that. That's because... Paul doesn't mean what you think he means when he says that. And I'm going to prove it in the next few verses in 1 Corinthians. Look at 1 Corinthians 11. Keep going in verse 4. Verse 4, he says, Every man who prays or prophesies with something on his head dishonors his head. 
Every woman who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head, since that is one and the same as having her head shaved. For if a woman doesn't cover her head, she should have her hair cut off. But if it is disgraceful for a woman to have her hair cut off or her head shaved, let her head be covered. Now, we're going to talk about hair and covering and all that in a second. We'll get to that. But there's something really striking we need to pick up first of all. He says in verse 4, every man who prays or prophesies. And then in verse 5, he says every woman who prays or prophesies. So in the Corinthian church, apparently there's men and women praying and prophesying in the church. And Paul thinks that's awesome. He thinks that's great. Women wouldn't have been able to do that in the synagogue in Corinth. Definitely not. But they can in the church. So here's another big thing we got to realize. Number three, gender distinctions don't fit our stereotypes of how genders are supposed to operate. They don't fit our stereotypes. Traditional conservatives want women to stay hidden and quiet. And Paul's going, no, 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 women, stand up and start prophesying. Because in those days, before they had the New Testament, they didn't preach sermons like this. They didn't have a text to preach out of. And so in church every week, they'd have just, Random different people stand up and give a prophecy, and then the elders would decide which prophecies were valid. And so Paul's going, hey, ladies, yeah, go ahead, stand up, make yourself heard. Just don't try and act like a man and usurp the authority of the elders. Because that's what an uncovered head meant in that culture. That's what a lady who shaved her head meant in that culture. It meant there was a woman who was trying to have authority like a man. That's what that signifies. So Paul said, hey, women, use your gifts. Just don't ignore God's design for gender. So here at Harvard Church, we have lots of strong women who are leading in lots of different ways. We have women leading all kinds of different ministries. We have women leading worship. We have women teaching and not just teaching kids, not just teaching ladies. We have seminars and events where women are teaching men and women. We just don't have women teach on Sunday mornings because we view this as an authoritative time, and, and so we reserve it for the elders and for men who are in the process of becoming elders. But we love to see women using their gifts in all kinds of different ways, in the church and in the world. There should be lots of women who are CEOs, who are in management. There should be women who are president of the United States. That should happen. And anybody who thinks otherwise is coming from cultural ideas of manhood and womanhood, not biblical ideas. Not biblical. I mean, think about the ideal woman in the Bible, the Proverbs 31 woman. She wakes up in the morning, and she makes breakfast for her big family. She does some laundry. She does some sewing. So she's fitting some of the cultural stereotypes of women, but then... Then she goes and sells the clothing that she's made. After lunch, she does a couple real estate deals. So she's an entrepreneur. She's a real estate developer. She's a CEO. Not the kind of roles that traditionally-minded folks would support. On the other side, think about the ideal man in the Bible. King David. Everybody knows he's the ideal man, right? He, he cut the head off of a giant, okay? Can't get any more manly than that. He killed a lion with his bare hands. He was a man's man. 
But at the same time, David wrote poetry. David played the harp. Have you ever seen a dude play a harp? I haven't seen that, okay? I haven't seen that. So when we're talking about what a man is and what a woman is, we got to make sure we're thinking biblically, not culturally. Not culturally. It's the cultural ideas of manhood and womanhood that have led so many folks to believe that they just don't fit as a man or a woman. This is what's fueled a lot of the transgender movement is folks who feel like they don't fit the stereotypes that we have of men and women. So we need to make sure that we're understanding the Bible's idea of manhood and womanhood. And gender distinctions in the Bible, they don't fit the gender stereotypes in our culture. Why is that? Because number four, gender distinctions display the gospel. That's why we have gender distinctions. That's why God designed gender distinctions. It's not because men or women are any less strong. It's not because men or women are any less smart. It's because when men and women fulfill our God-given roles in a relationship with each other, we paint a picture for the world of our relationship to God. Look what Paul says in verse 7. Verse 7, he says, A man should not cover his head because he's the image and glory of God, and so too woman is the glory of man. Men and women are made in the image of God. We're the glory of God. We bring perfect glory to God because if we've put our faith in Jesus Christ, we've been given the perfect righteousness of Christ through his perfect life and brutal death and glorious resurrection. And so we can give the world a living picture of this when men lay down their lives for their wives and when women respect and honor their husbands. That's what Paul's saying about marriage in Ephesians 5 when he says, wives submit to your husbands and husbands die to, your die to yourself like Christ died for the church. Look at what he says in verse 32 of Ephesians 5. This mystery is profound but I am talking about Christ and the church. In these roles in marriage, this mystery is profound. And what's so profound is that your marriage is a picture of the gospel. Husbands, when you love your wife like Christ loved the church, when you give yourself up for her, when you die to yourself for her, then you are showing the world what the sacrificial love of Jesus Christ looks like. Wives, when you submit to your husbands like the church submits to Christ, when you honor him, when you respect him, then you're showing the world how we should respect Christ. You're painting a picture of the gospel for the world around us. It's got nothing to do with who's smarter or stronger or more skilled. It's got everything to do with showing the world how Christ loves us and how we honor Christ. That's all that our gender distinctions are about. And this goes all the way back to creation. Look what Paul says here in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 8. Verse 8, for man did not come from a woman, but woman came from man. Neither was man created for the sake of woman, but woman for the sake of man. This is why a woman should have a symbol of authority on her head because of the angels. Because the angels were created to come under the authority of God, and we were created to do the same thing. And we were created with gender distinctions from the very beginning so we could paint a picture of this from the very beginning. So this isn't a cultural thing. This is a creation thing. Some people 
read passages like this in the Bible, and they're like, well, yeah, that's what it was like back then in that culture. But things have changed in the last 2,000 years. It's not that way in our culture. And so we, we don't really need to go by this anymore. Well, here's the thing. If that was Paul's thinking, you would expect him to say it, right? You would expect him to say, women, you should come under your husband's authority because that's what the culture around us expects. He doesn't say that. He says, come under authority because that's how we were created. That's how God designed things from the very beginning. That's how we were in the Garden of Eden. At least until we weren't. When Satan came to tempt Eve, what did Adam do? He just sat there. He didn't take authority. He didn't take responsibility for his family. He did nothing. He didn't care about his family. He just did nothing. And ever since then, guys have been doing the same thing. A whole lot of nothing. Our wives are in pain, and what do we do? nothing. Our kids are going off the rails. What do we do? Nothing. Our family is bickering and arguing. What do we do? Hey, keep it down. The chiefs are on. That's what we do. Ever since the time of Adam, we've been doing nothing. Adam abdicated his authority, and so Eve usurped his authority. And what they were both doing was both turning their back on the roles that they were given by God. And that's why the world is in the mess that we're in today. But when we embrace our roles, then we thrive. Then our families thrive. Then the world thrives. Look what Paul says in verse 11. Verse 11. In the Lord, however, woman is not independent of man, and man is not independent of woman. For just as woman came from man, so man comes through woman, and all things come from God. Yeah, we all thrive when we're all dependent on each other. And so here's number five. Gender distinctions are complementary. We complement each other with our different characteristics and tendencies and strengths. We complement each other. This week, I asked our covenant members to tell me some of the strengths that they could think of of the opposite gender. Here's some of the things they came up with. Here's what men said about women. Women are multitaskers, multi-thinkers. They can do lots of things at the same time. Guys can only do one thing at a time. And all the ladies said, amen, right? They said women are in touch with their emotions. Guys are like cement bricks. Yes, we are. Women are more relational, more nurturing. And at the same time, they said women are tougher. We're babies when we get sick. Women power through it. Yes. One guy said, women smell better than men. We can all agree on that. No argument there. Here's what women said about men. Men have the ability to lead well. Men are problem solvers. They love to fix things. Men are providers. Men are protectors. Yeah, just ask your husband or your boyfriend how often he thinks about the Roman Empire, okay? Did you see that this week? My daughter, Talia showed me a video a couple days ago about this social media trend that's going around of ladies asking their men how often they think about the Roman Empire. And on these videos, all the dudes are like, oh, I don't know. 
two or three times a day, just something like that. And all the women are like, what? Why do you think about the Roman Empire two or three times a day? And all the dudes are like, Roman soldiers, gladiators, right? That's us. We love to fight. We love to think about fighting because we are protectors. Think about the samurai. Whatever you think about, we want to think about ourselves as providers and protectors. And that's awesome. God has given us different natural strengths for men and women. Gender distinction is God's design, and God's design is good. It's really, really good. As long as we operate according to God's design. If you use your iPhone according to its design, if you call your mom on it, that's going to be good. It's going to work great. If you use your iPhone to hammer in nails, that's not going to work so well. There are natural strengths that God gives us. When we don't operate according to them, it doesn't work. And so that's why Paul closes out his thoughts with this. Look at what he says in verse 13. Judge for yourselves. Is it proper for a woman to pray to God with her head uncovered? Does not even nature itself teach you that if a man has long hair, it is a disgrace to him, but that if a woman has long hair, it is her glory, for her hair is given to her as a cover. Here's what he's saying. I know it's confusing. Here's what he's saying. You were born as a man or a woman, and you were born into a culture that has certain signifiers for men and women. In Paul's culture, it was the length of your hair or was the, the hat that you wear. Those are the kind of signifiers between men and women. In other cultures, it's going to be different. If you go to church in Samoa, all of the men are going to be wearing lava lavas. If you go to church in South Dakota, none of the men are going to be wearing lava lavas. It's going to be a little different. It's going to look different in different places, but the principle is the same. Celebrate the way that God made you and lean in to the way that God made you. Don't fight against the way that God made you. That's what Paul says in verse 16. Look at how he closes this out. If anyone wants to argue about this, I love that. If anyone wants to argue, I don't know, Paul, you think anybody is ever going to want to argue about this? Yeah, he knew that we would still be arguing 2,000 years later about this. If anyone wants to argue about this, we have no other custom, nor do the churches of God. Yeah, we'll argue about this until Jesus comes back. But here's what it comes down to. We have no other custom. There's no other option God's given us. There's no other plan. It's not like your healthcare plan at work. You sit down with the HR guy and he's like, well, you could take plan A or plan B or plan C. It's not like that here. This is the only plan. There's only plan A. That's it. God knows that we're going to struggle with gender conflict. He knows that we're going to struggle with gender confusion. He knows we're going to struggle with gender dysphoria. He knows we're going to think maybe we need to explore plan B or plan C if we're going to survive. But Paul is begging us here saying God is calling you back to plan A because that's not just where you're going to survive, that's where you're going to thrive. When you're leaning in to what God created you to be. Family, you were created in God's image. Fashioned in the image of Christ. That's where Paul started this whole conversation. Back in verse 1 when he said, imitate me as I imitate Christ. We are created 
to imitate Christ. And Christ was a servant-hearted leader. And at the same time, Christ was respectful, deferential, submissive to his Father. When we all lean into what we are created to be, when we all imitate Christ, family, that is when we all thrive. Let's pray together.